0: This is our, I guess, fifth week in this Know Your Why series. It started with Vision Sunday, and, uh, and I think we'll finish up next Sunday. We have one more Sunday, I think, kind of tie it all together, and, and a little bit of an application, I think, next week, not just about our church's why, but a challenge to you and your personal why beyond the four things we've talked about as a member of the church, but in whatever area roles, ages, stages of life, whatever roles and relationships of life you're in, really knowing your why. And we talked as we laid out the vision for 2023 here at Liberty Baptist Church on Vision Sunday about it's important for us to know our why as a church. Why do we exist? Why are we here? And are we accomplishing our purpose? And really, I I told us that's a question that all of us need to answer. Why am I here? Why did God place me on this earth? in my family, at work, at church, as a believer, in in our community? Why am I here, and am I fulfilling my purpose? If we don't answer the why question, why we're here, then we'll never get to the how of how do we accomplish that purpose, that God-given purpose in our lives. And so we've been looking at it from a standpoint of a church, and I've reminded us I think just about every week, when I say the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about a nonprofit corporation. I'm not talking about a big group of people necessarily, like as a unit. I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. You are the church, and I am the church. That Greek word in the Old Testament is ekklesia, a called-out assembly, called out from the world, called unto Christ, and that is us. We are an assembly of people, a body of believers. And so when I say our why, our four-part purpose as a church, again, I'm not talking about the sign or the the incorporation documents or whatever it might be, our our founding documents, our, our church constitution. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about you. And me, as members of the body, this is why we're here, biblically speaking. Let's see. This could be a little discouraging. Let's see if anybody can remember our four-part for, for — I'm about to go on YouTube, I'm gonna go viral here. I'm not gonna repeat that. Our four-part purpose, uh, why we're here as a church. Number one, we are here to do what with the Gospel? To Thank you. More than three or four of you remember. That's good. That's encouraging. To share the gospel. The Bible says it's the Great Commission. It's, what, it's Jesus' last command. What did he tell his disciples? You shall be witnesses. What you've seen, what you've experienced, I don't want you to keep it to yourself. I want you to tell everybody you can about it. I want you daily to be—go ye into all the world and preach the gospel." So the purpose of the church is to share the gospel. We're not just a religious country club that's here to to enrich each other's lives, to entertain each other's children and children's programs, to, to take care of one another. Now that's part of the purpose of the church is to care for one another, but that's not the primary reason, or I guess I could say the primary priority. The first reason we exist as a church family is to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus with everybody that we can. And so every ministry that we have, we have to be asking ourselves, is it helping us to share the Gospel? Then once people get saved, what is purpose number two? We're not only to share it, once they get saved, our goal as a church, we are to grow in the Gospel. Jesus said, uh, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, what we just saw with Scott this morning, getting baptized, that first step of obedience. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I want you now, disciples, after you've shared the good news that there is a a God that loves the world, that he sent his only begotten son Jesus to die on the cross, live a sinless life, to die in your place and in mine, to die on the cross, shed his sinless blood as a payment for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Once you've shared that and people have placed their faith and trust in Christ as Savior, you're not done. Now I want you to teach them everything that I taught you. I want, I want new believers to grow in the gospel. I want middle-aged believers, whatever, have you've been saved forever, like, I want older believers, I want us all growing in the gospel. And we looked at that for an entire message two weeks ago, to grow in the gospel. in our church family, are you growing in the gospel? And then last week, we saw our third purpose. Not only are we supposed to be learning, we are then also, our third purpose is to, anybody remember from last week? Connect through the gospel, connect. The Christian life is not intended to be lived in isolation. God did not intend for you to live the Christian life alone. I didn't come up with these ideas. These are from God himself. They're written down in his word about what the church is supposed to be and what believers are supposed to do. And we saw it from the earliest stages of the church, the New Testament local church, in Acts chapter number 2 last week we saw, and all throughout Acts, and in the letters, what do you see? A bunch of one another phrases love one another pray for one another edify one another encourage one another uh, to do these things rejoice with one another weep with one another all of that's what the church is supposed to do we're supposed to be a church family and i really challenged us last week on how are we doing in building relationships with with other believers within our church family. Today, we'll look at part number four, our, the fourth part of our church purpose, and then I believe next Sunday we'll wrap it all up, and then we'll be back in the Book of Genesis, walking through that systematically, verse by verse. This morning, I want us to look at the fourth part of our church purpose: is to live the gospel. Live the gospel. Christianity. Just as I mentioned last week, it was never intended to be um, lived in isolation. Christianity was never intended to be a passive endeavor where you are just receiving. Where you're sitting there and others are serving you and you're receiving and you're just receiving, it was intended to be an active endeavor. It's not enough just to be, we must also do. Yes, our internal relationship and growth in Christ is the priority. It's why we start with share the gospel and then grow in the gospel. But a true growing relationship will lead to fruit in our lives and actions. Can I say that again? A true growing relationship with Christ will lead to fruit in our lives and in our actions. It is not just, well, I am a Christian, it should come out in the fruit and the actions of our lives. Any healthy relationship is not just going to be one way that I'm receiving, it's going to be I am also living, serving for that person. My wife and I, in about a week, we will celebrate 23 years of marriage, and, and, and if I told you that in 20 — what, do, what, do what does your wife do for you, or what do you do for your wife? Well, nothing. We just we — we live in the same house, we go, we go to the same house every day, and she reads her book over there, and I read my book, and I live my life, and she lives — you would say, that's not a very good marriage. A good marriage, we ought to be serving one another. We ought to be talking to one another. There should be some fruit from our lives in that relationship. The same is true in our relationship with Christ. Christians are not called to be passive consumers. We are called to be active contributors. There is a a mentality, and I I go through this in our um, starting point four-week class for those that are newer to our church, and I talk about this a little bit. The idea of a church member in in, in our mentality, American mentality, membership is the idea of I pay a certain dues to receive certain perks. Costco membership. I pay my dues so that I can get more toilet paper than anyone ever needs in one, one stop, and so that I can guarantee that a, a $200 grocery trip will always turn into a $600 grocery trip. I pay my- and- but then I really got them. I got all the free samples, all right, and so I got goat cheese stacked on top of some weird salami or something, and, and I pay my dues, I get my perks. I'm a member of a golf club, maybe, or of this, this, whatever whatever it might be, some political club or whatever it is where we have, we're a card-holding member. What do we, even our credit cards, I'm a, a member, American Express, they had a big thing about membership has its privileges. That was a big marketing line decades ago. Membership has, this idea is membership is all about what I receive from it, and that has worked its way into our mindset of what it means to be a church member. But you see, the Bible talks about membership differently. Paul likened it to members of a body. And what does a member of a body do? Yes, it receives, my, my hand is receiving strength and blood and health from my heart right now, but my hand is also contributing to the health of the body, the function of the body, the movement of the body. They're all working together, and they are benefiting from one another. My brain is telling my mouth what to say, but my mouth is, is doing what, and they're working together. They do benefit from each other, but they are also contributing. The Christians, Christian life, we are not to be passive consumers. One of our members sent me this meme via text this week. And and I don't know that they knew what I was preaching this week, but it said the church is not a cruise ship where a handful of people serve everyone else who is relaxing. No, the church is a battleship where it's all hands on deck, and everyone serves the mission. Let's read Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four this morning, verse number eight. Philippians four, verse number eight. Would you read aloud with me? Philippians four, eight, and nine. We're going to look at probably about 20... Uh, um, verses of Scripture here in the book of Philippians this morning, so I'd encourage you to follow along and see these things for yourself if you're in the habit, if you have a hard copy of a Bible and in the habit, you may want to underline or jot a note down. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8 and 9, let's read those two verses aloud together. Ready? Begin. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Do you see it there? He's saying, finally, brethren, Paul writing from a prison cell to the church at Philippi. Really, one of his only letters, maybe his only letter, where he was not correcting something. He wasn't wasn't correcting doctrinal error. He wasn't upset with discord in the church. I I, I liken the book of Philippians, I call it a thank you letter. It was really just Paul writing his heart to a people that he loved, that he was really proud of, and just saying, thank you for ministering to me in my need. It was just a thank you letter. And what does he say? Finally, brethren—and do you see it in verse number 9? Those things which you have—look at the verbs—those things which you have both what, church? The first verb is what? You have both what? Learned. And secondly, what? Received. And thirdly, what? Heard and forth those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen. What are all of those? Those are all, now I don't know if this is the right English term, but I'm saying for my they're receiving verbs. What I mean by that is it's something you're receiving. I think there's a, a real thing called a receiving verb. It's been a long time. I was good in English, but it's been like 25 years. So, But they're, they're verbs of reception, right? They're inward. Those things which I have learned and received and heard and seen. And then there's a fifth verb. And what does he say? All of those things, as you have received those, they've come in, what do I want that to lead you? I want those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Then what's that last verb? What is it? Do. You are supposed to take what you've received, and it should lead you to do, to live. To serve. To do. To do something with that. James said it this way, he said, faith without works is dead. We don't do good works to receive salvation. We don't do good works for salvation, but if we've received true salvation, James says we will do good works from salvation. We will do good works because of salvation. If we have a thriving, healthy relationship, that which we've received is going to lead us to do some things. And so what are we called to do as members of a church, not just to to grow and not just to connect, but to live, to serve? And and we see here those things which you have both learned and, 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 and received and heard and seen in me do. This verse is reminding us that our beliefs affect our behaviors. What you truly believe in will come out in how you live. Our beliefs affect our behaviors. If we truly believe that God created us to serve, what will we do? We'll serve. If we believe that we are like Christ when we sacrificially give and are generous, we will be generous people. If we believe that the first commandment is to love the Lord, which is an inward relationship, and the second is like unto it, to love our neighbors as ourselves, an outward verb, an outward relationship, it will change our priorities, our schedules, and our budgets. Those things which you've received, you're growing in Christ, you're learning, don't just keep them for yourself. Do. Live. Serve. Finally, brethren, think on the right things, and everything I've taught you. Go live it. That's what Paul told the church at Philippi. Look at verse number 10. Continuing on in this passage, verse number 10, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care, you have given, you have served, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. You were always looking for ways to serve, and there was there was a, there was a season there where you didn't really know what you could do for me, but you, you helped me again, and I want to praise you for being people that have put feet to your faith. You don't just say you love people, you show you love people. You don't just say you love God, you show you love God by your service, by your giving. He says, he says that your love for God came out in your love and care and generosity to me. By the way, church family, our love for God or lack thereof will always come out in our love for people or lack thereof. What did Jesus say? Somebody's, he said, when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat, or you did. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, or you didn't. And when I didn't have any clothes, and they said, when did we give you something to eat? And when did we give you—we didn't see you without clothes and give you clothes. We didn't see you thirsty and give you water. He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me." What is he saying? Your love for me is shown when you show love to others. Verse number 11. If by any means, I, oh, I'm sorry, wrong, that's chapter 3, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm not, I didn't serve you so you would give me stuff. I don't need your gifts, but I'm appreciative of your gifts. I know how to be a base, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Would you read verse 13 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul again says, it's not about what I can get in return. I don't give to get, but I'm thankful for how you've given. Verse 14, notwithstanding, even though I don't need your gifts, look what he says, you have well done. You've done well, that you did communicate with my affliction. You cared when I was hurting. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. What a great testimony. When I left, there was nobody that gave and served except for you guys. This was a church that had got it. The gospel had changed the way they lived, the way they give. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again, this wasn't a one-time thing, under my necessity, not because I desire a gift, here it is, look at one of the blessings, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I have all and abound. By the way, Paul's saying this from prison. What a great perspective. He said, I have all and abound. He's sitting in a prison cell. I've got everything I need. I'm fine. I don't need more. I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, would you read it aloud? Ready? Begin. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't you love that verse? There's a joy and a reward to serving. What happens when you choose to live an outwardly focused life, loving your neighbor and serving? What happens? Now, we often think of it like, okay, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to sacrifice to make somebody else's life better. There's a joy and reward to serving. We bring others joy. Paul says, I rejoice when you gave. So when we serve, it brings joy to other people. But then we get fruit that abounds to our eternal account. He said, it's fruit that abounds to your account. God is pleased with our lives, and our needs will be met by Him. What a deal! I give and serve to make others' lives better and more joyful, and in return, my life gets better and more joyful. What an awesome thing this Christian life is! God calls me to give and serve to make other people's lives more joyful, and it does, and in return, it makes my life better and more joyful. You ever heard the phrase, it is more blessed to give than to... There's great joy when we learn the joy of giving. We receive to give, it's been said a person wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. No, we are as believers are to live the gospel, an outwardly focused life. And by the way, just in passing, as we read the Bible and understand it in context, this this passage we just read, it really messes up two of the most familiar or popular, famous verses, promises of scripture that we love to throw on coffee cups and Instagram memes and t-shirts with pretty pictures of oceans and kitty cats. And the first one is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In context, this doesn't mean you can, you know, you can go, get your, go on that next vacation, or you can win the next professional sports championship, or whatever that might mean. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, which means he's my genie in the bottle. And I can just, no, what Paul's saying is, I've learned in what sort of state I am there with to be content. It's not natural to be content with what we have and with where we're at. And Paul says, but I can do that when Christ strengthens me. I can come to a place of contentment with Christ's help. That's the first one. The second one is, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. We Prosperity gospel preachers love to preach that, you know, give to our ministry and you give us $100, you're going to get 1000 I just believe it. Just if you have enough faith, it'll happen. And, and this is a conditional um, thing that comes in context with, he said, as you live to meet the needs of others, God will make sure your needs are met. It's not a prosperity gospel, it's a provisional gospel. And it's not just a blanket, everybody in the world, it's as you learn the joy of giving and serving, you'll find out that God will never leave you nor forsake you. You'll find out like the psalmist, I've been young and now I'm old, I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You'll find out God took care of me even when I had no idea how he ever could. But he says here, God, these things, God will meet our needs. So what do we see here as the closing thoughts to this wonderful church that Paul praised as he wrote from prison? The first verse we read, what sort of things are pure, lovely, just, honest, good report. What do we learn? we got to be careful what we let in. Think on these things. we got to be careful what we let in in our Christian lives. we got to be careful, guard our thoughts and our influences. And then what we learn is, in verse number 9, we need to let what we take in affect what we give out and how we live, the things which we've learned and received and heard and seen do. You could summarize what he's saying here with two words that are very familiar to us in the physical realm. If you want to be physically healthy and you talk to... People have a lot of different ideas. There are a lot of different workout programs, a lot of different philosophies in different gyms, a lot of different types of diets. There's the no-carb, low-carb, all-carb, keto, caveman, Weight Watchers, whatever. There's all of this. You talk to anybody in any of those realms, and what are the two words, the two things they're going to tell you you have to focus on if you want to be physically healthy? Number one is diet, and number two is diet and exercise. You want to be healthy? Have a healthy diet and healthy exercise, if you want to be as healthy as you can be. Now we might all be relatively healthy without one or the other or for a season without both, but if we want to be as healthy as we can be, we've got to focus on what two things? Diet and what is diet? Diet is what we take in. What is exercise? Exercise is what we give out. And you know what Paul's telling the believers here? You guys need to be careful of your diet and your exercise. You've got to be careful what you're taking in. Think on these things. And you've got to be careful, are you then doing what you've received? Are you living what you say you believe? The same is true in your Christianity and mine. What we take in is important. It's why it's important what church we go to, and do we spend time daily in God's Word, and what music are we listening to, and what entertainment are we watching, and what podcasts are we subscribed to, and what Bible studies are we attending? Everyone that proclaims to be a preacher of the Bible is not necessarily preaching good solid doctrine. We've got to be careful, be careful what we're taking in, or maybe we're not taking anything spiritual in our lives in, and I wonder why church is boring, and and I have no spiritual hunger, and I have no spiritual passions, and I have no no desire for these things. Are you taking anything in? It would be like somebody that didn't eat any food and can't figure out why they have no energy. I, I don't know why I'm weak. When was the last time you ate? Last Sunday. That's why you're weak. I can't figure out why my spiritual life it's always weak, and really there's no passion, and it's just kind of blonde. I'm just kind of going through the motions. What's your diet look like? What are you taking in? The quality of that, we talked about that a little bit in in the second purpose of grow, but then also, not only what we take in is important, but what we give out. Giving, serving, living for others. In this passage, verse 8, we see our diet, and then we see that it should affect us in three areas. I'm going to give you three thoughts on living the gospel. Number one, the gospel should, our diet, what we take in should affect three things as believers. Number one, it should affect our living. It should affect our living. Are our lives characterized by things that are true, honest, pure, lovely, good report? Does that characterize it? It should affect our living. Something wrong if Christ is in you isn't coming out of you in those ways. Christ in us should change what comes out of us. It should change how we live, not just how we think, not just what we do for a couple hours on Sunday morning, Christ who is our life, Paul said in Colossians. He's our life. Church, this thing of church and following Jesus isn't a two-hour break, the in, in, commercial break in the season of our life. This thing of following Jesus is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, every day, 24 hours a day of our it's supposed to change us and it's by the way that that's a lifelong process that we call in theological terms it's called sanctification sanctified being set apart being more and more like christ we're being changed into his image that happens through our living should be changed by the gospel is your living any different because of the gospel you've received and grown in If we're characterized by the opposite of that list, by lies and dishonesty, wickedness, evil, bad report, iniquity, grumbling, would it make sense that we're really being controlled by the Spirit of God? By by their fruits, you shall know them. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord, and I'm going to talk some more about that tonight. I hope you'll be back at 5 o'clock. I actually spent more time on tonight's message than I did on this message, Now, I spent time on this message. Didn't mean I'm, I'm not sh- I don't think I'm shortchanging you this morning, but, but tonight's message, I, I, I spent several hours longer this week on that one than I did this one, and we'll talk some about that, but how is Christ in you changing you? Number two, it should change our living. Number two, it should change our serving. You see verse number 10? But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again." your care of me has flourished. You cared. You looked beyond your needs. You tried to find lives you could touch, people you could help, needs you could meet. The gospel in us should cause us to be servants. It should cause us to be outwardly focused. It should cause us to be looking, and when we hear of a special need, there's a family going through this. Maybe we can help there, and there's somebody here the Lord puts on our heart. What we can, can we do there? And write them a note and give them a word of encouragement, and, and maybe drop off a bag of groceries and give them a gift card and help a, a young single person or a young a young couple or single parent or a senior citizen that's on a fixed income, and it doesn't always have to be in financial ways. What can we do over there? They don't quite understand how to get their computer set up, and we can go help them with some gift that we have, some ability that we have to serve those people. He said, I rejoice greatly because your care flourished. Jesus in you caused you to look for ways you could make a positive impact in the lives around you. If you're anything like your pastor." Your life gets really busy. Your calendar is full. You have emails that need to be replied to. You have text messages by the dozens, if not scores, and some days hundreds that are coming onto your phone. At this season of my life, there are three of our children at home and two that are away where I'm trying to make sure I'm staying in touch with them, and and, and I'm I'm a a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a relative, and sometimes just trying to keep all of the plates of my life spinning feels overwhelming, let alone trying to look at what somebody else needs and do something meaningful to help them, it can really take a back burner really quickly. We're just trying to manage our house. And how do we get Trey to his elementary basketball game? And, and I'm coaching the girls' playoff game this week. And what day is practice for TJ? And where are we going here? And oh, yeah, that's right. We have a 23rd anniversary on Saturday. And, and we've got the Park's funeral on Saturday morning. And so are we going to be able to get to go to dinner that night? What are we going to do? And, and just the day-to-day of my life. Anybody have anything kind of feel like that at times? Probably most of us. And here's what happens. The focus turns inward and we stop looking who can we serve who can we encourage who can we help what needs can we meet Jesus in us should change our serving what can I do that makes an impact in someone else not just serves my needs and my priorities this week look if you will Philippians 2 turn two chapters back please Paul writing the same letter Philippians 2 Philippians 2 verse number 3 Philippians 2, verse number 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In the church, don't get prideful, don't get a bunch of fights, humble yourselves. Would you read verse 4 aloud? Ready, begin. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Why is Paul, we're going through this in our marriage uh, community group on Wednesday nights, why is Paul reminding them to do this? Because it's not natural. We're talking about this in our community group. You know who it's most natural for me to love? Who do I love most by nature? Me. Why did Jesus say, love your neighbor as yourself? I told our community group this. I've used this illustration in church before. You don't believe that's true. The next time there's a picture, a group picture that you're in, and you go to look at it, who's the first person you look at? You look to see if your eyes are open and how your smile looks. You don't care what anybody else looks like. You're gonna find the one you look the best in. That's all of us. What is he saying? He's reminding the church because it's not natural for us. He's reminding the church, he's saying, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he says this, verse 5, let this mind, which mind? The, the mind of humble service, the mind of others thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not, robbery to be equal with God. He was God, he is God, and he was equal with God. But look what it says in verse 7. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the greatest act in human history of self-sacrifice and service, is the God, uh, the creator of the universe, the God of the ages, the, the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, humbling himself to live 33 years in some ways as a vagabond, homeless, nowhere to lay his head, people hated him, he humbled himself, why did he do that? Because we had a need that we could not meet and only he could meet and he says let that mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus he was equal with God he was God he is God he never ceased being God but he took upon himself the form of a servant he humbled himself and he became a man he walked this earth for 33 years why? to serve you in the greatest way possible and to serve me and that is our example serve him True Christianity is a life of humble, selfless, sacrificial service. And then lastly, back to chapter four, if you will. What should the gospel do, and why are we here as a church? Yes, to share the gospel, see people saved, to grow in the gospel, to connect through the gospel, but then to live the gospel. And, and it should affect our living, our serving, and number three, our giving. Verse number 14 through 18, we won't read it again, we've already read it, but what do we see here? This church gave unlike any other church to Paul's ministry. For God so loved the world that he, that he what? Gave his only begotten son. True love is always displayed in giving. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's time, sometimes it's the giving and opening of yourself and you actually give yourself away, you're willing to be hurt, you open up. That's true love is always expressed through giving. And he says, "Here, I, I want you to do the things you've heard and it's going to change your living, your serving and your giving." What is the gospel? The good news that Jesus gave everything so that we could have everything. And what should that gospel lead us to do to become some of the most generous people on earth? Sometimes Christians can be some of the most self-centered, stingiest people on earth, and sometimes unbelievers can be too. It's a human thing, it's not a Christian thing, it's our human nature, but these things ought not so to be. A few years ago I heard a story, it was during the pastoral transition of what I think may be the second largest church in California, they're here in Orange County, and I was going to get lunch with their new pastor that was coming in, I was talking to the executive assistant, she told me the story of under that right before the previous pastor had, had transitioned, had retired, or stepped out and, and left. He was standing up and he was telling his church family, he was telling them, people think it's a, as I mentioned, the second largest church in California, beautiful facilities. He said, people think that we're a rich church and that our church is really undergirded and really supported by, by the top 1%, the really wealthy people in our church. He, he said, actually, as I've studied our giving records, he said, what I found is that it's the middle class and below that by percentage are far more generous with what God's given to them than those that have far more means, in our church at least. And he, he said this, and, and, and while he preached that, it's kind of a dangerous thing to say, I guess, make the rich people mad in your church, but... He was, he was talking about the fact that God wants all of us to be generous no matter what our income level is. And just because what you give is a large amount, it's, it's as you've heard before, equal gifts, not equal sacrifice. If it's, if it's not really a sacrifice, it's, is it really, truly generous? It might look generous to somebody that doesn't have as much, but is it really making any dent in your life at all? Or are you just giving of your abundance as Jesus showed the disciples, not like the widow who gave out of her, her poverty? And after the service, a wealthy man was convicted by his own lack of generosity. The executive assistant told me, he came up to the pastor afterwards and asked him, How much is the mortgage principal? How much debt do we have left in this church? And the pastor, I can't remember the number, it was either 27 or 28 million. He said it's whatever it was, let's say it was 27 million. He said, we have our, our, our mortgage principal is 27 million dollars." And the man looked at him and said, "You'll have a check this week." Obviously, the pastor was "Pretty good day. That's a good Sunday to go home with that news. By the way, if he was out here, we're at 1.95 million. <laughs> and uh, way less than 27. much easier to pay off. I don't know what the mortgage payment would be on 27 million dollars. probably somewhere around a quarter of a million dollars a month. they were paying to the bank. Can you imagine what more they were able to do for the work of the gospel? with an extra quarter of a million dollars from their mortgage payment. What, what's what, why do I tell that story? What was what was the what was the pastor reminding his people of in that message that Christ in us should make us generous with our time, our talents, our treasures, our relationships, our resources. Last year I love the fact that our church increased our monthly mission support to our 100 missionary partners by 25%. Why? Because of the generosity of God's people. Last year we saw our mortgage come below 2 million dollars in the last 7 years. We paid off a third of it, over a million dollars there. Why? Because of the generosity of God's people. Last year, we helped rescue missions and schools and churches and orphanages, and we built buildings in several other countries. We helped in our own school about 30 families have access to Christian education that otherwise might, otherwise might not have been able to. We were able to do different things at Christmas and scripture printing, and we allowed, I think, at least 10 to 15 different pastors of their wives to come to Orange County and recharge, use our guest departments and some other things and put up in a hotel, whatever, I mean, to try to recharge and encourage and refresh them. Why were we able to do some of those things and so many more? Our bus outreach program, because of the generosity of God's people, Christ in us should change our giving. Well, you're just a money-hungry preacher trying to get money out of me. No, that's, that's not the case. The reality is there is a joy in giving, there's an obedience in giving, it's commanded, And there's eternal fruit that abounds to our account, Paul says here in Philippians 4, when we give. I would would be a bad pastor not to challenge you to do something that would bring you joy, eternal fruit, and cause you to be more obedient to God and to His Word. Yes, yes I want you to give, not for my sakes, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lives that will be impacted. You may not be able to give 28 million, or 2 million, or 10 thousand, or thousand, but every one of us should seek to be generous. Generosity is not determined by your income level; it is determined by your heart condition. There, I, I've met some of the most generous people I've met are extremely wealthy, high net worth individuals, and I've met some of those generous people I've met are some of them. One that stands out in my mind are the people that lived in a village in the Philippines that literally their net worth were six chickens, and they killed two or three of them that morning to give us breakfast. And as I slept in uh, a—you've seen the pictures, I've shown them before—a bamboo hut in the middle of a village. The entire village, the kids, all the kids combined, their toys, was one basketball, the whole village. And those people had the joy of the Lord unlike anything I've ever seen. And I sat there—I was supposed to be preaching that morning. And I sat there weeping, because I had left that, for that trip worried about losing our home during the, the 2008 housing crisis, which we did end up short-selling. I left so worried about all of that, and I came to this village. And these people who would never—their home, the pastor's home, was smaller than my walk-in closet and had more joy than I, than I had, more trust in God, more contentment. They woke up early, killed half of their chickens to feed us breakfast. And i was supposed to be the preacher, I'm supposed to be teaching them what it is to be living the Christian life that morning. And they taught me. Their church, no windows, cinder block building, wooden benches, over 120, 140 people crammed into a building that probably should seat 40. Their sound system was a karaoke machine with one speaker and one microphone. Their electricity was one light bulb connected to a car battery. That was their church. We got there late, two hours late on Saturday night, through the monsoon rains, we walked in the mud. We were two hours late. We were supposed to have a service on Saturday night. If I showed up two hours late today, how many of you would still be waiting for me? Be honest. My wife wouldn't be. She'd be gone. (laughs) She's about to leave right now, like, wrap this up, you've talked enough. They were all waiting in the pouring rain, and we want church, let's go, we want to hear let's sing, we want to hear preaching. And that Sunday morning, as I'm supposed to stand up and preach, they sang a song that I had sung many times in my home church, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I've sung that song probably, definitely scores of times, if not hundreds of times in my life. And they sang a chorus I never sang in America. They got to the second chorus, you know what they said? Let's sing it the way we like to sing it here. Count your blessings, name them ten by ten. I never sang that in America. These people had learned the joy of living, serving, and giving. As Christians, all of us should be generous. It's not determined by our income level, it's determined by our heart condition. I close with this illustration. In Israel, there are two bodies of water that are both fed by the same source, the Jordan River. There's the Sea of Galilee, which I have a picture of here. It's lush, it's green. Children playing around at trees, fishing, sea life, life in bloom everywhere. There are countless species of of sea life in that Sea of Galilee. A few hours south, you can get to the Dead Sea which we have a picture of. The first picture is the first time I went to Israel, it was beautiful and green. This one was in September with our group, it wasn't as beautiful, but I still got the sea salt, whatever, Dead Sea uh, minerals that they, they, they charge $100 for that mud, and so I got my—be careful if you ever go, don't get that water in your eyes or in your mouth, you'll be hurting for a long time, the, sea con- the salt content is so high. The Dead Sea is barren and dry. You can kind of see it in there, there's absolutely no life in the, on the right picture. There is no life, nothing is growing. No fish. There's no fishing there. What's the difference? Why is one alive and one's dead? They both have the same source, the Jordan River. Why is one alive and one dead? And many of you have heard this, an illustration like this before, but it's a great reminder. You know why one's alive and one's dead? One has an inlet and an outlet. The other only has an inlet. One takes, and whatever it receives, it gives. And life grows. The other receives and never gives. And we call it the Dead Sea. It's completely dead. An inlet but no outlet other than evaporation, and because it never gives out, it's dead. And believer, the same is true for you and for me. We have received much, to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. We've received much. We've received love, and we've received teaching, and we've received truth, and we've received uh, the gift of, of a church and a church family, we've received much. Are we giving it all? If we don't, if we don't learn to serve and give? We'll die. We'll die spiritually, emotionally, as our our life will be meaningless, will be unfulfilled. We should be taking in God's blessings and giving them out. Our purpose is not just to receive the gospel and grow in the gospel and connect through the gospel. It is also to live the gospel. So I challenge you this morning, where are you regularly serving? Outside of your weekly requirements for your life to exist, for your work to happen, for your family to be, all those needs to be met, which, by the way, is a priority we all have to take care of. But beyond that, outside of your four walls, where are you serving? How are you giving? How are you impacting others with what God has given you? Your resources, your relationships, your giftings. Are you only using those for your own gain? Or are you using those for the good of others and the glory of God? Those things which you have both learned and received and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you that what you've received, do it. This year, and I, I don't have time to go through all of them, but we have a good number of things set up where people can serve. Just about every week, there are opportunities, not just about every week, there are opportunities for people to serve in our church. And we have service teams and, and people that serve and nobody ever sees it, in our Helping Hands uh, maintenance ministry, and you can join one of the 20 or 30 service teams where you get plugged in. And if you're able to sing a little bit, you could serve the church through singing in the choir. You play an instrument, it could be through an orchestra. If you enjoy children, it could be through children's ministry, our nursery ministry the bus outreach ministry, our media ministry. We're going to have some Liberty Loves events this year where we go out into the community and vacation Bible school. We'll need scores of volunteers to live the gospel. Our second annual Orange County Christmas experience. We need even more volunteers this year as we pray that the event grows. We did Operation Christmas Child last year, hoping to do an even better job with it this year different fellowships that need set up and tear down, and missions extravaganza, and and generally speaking, once a year we go on a short-term missions trip, and we'll be missions giving and missions prayer times. There are all different ways for us, as he told them in Philippians 2, look not every man on his own things, but look every man on the things of others. How can I live differently because of the gospel in me, serve differently, and give differently? If we'll do that. be a little more like the Sea of Galilee than the Dead Sea. So Christian, how's your diet? What are you taking in? Spiritual nourishment. And how's your exercise? You only focus on your diet, you will get healthier. It would be better to take in a bunch of good stuff and and, and not really be serving much than it would be to do nothing. You're going to grow, it's going to be better for you, but eventually, What's gonna happen if you only take in and you're never exercising, it's gonna become unhealthy in its own way. You're gonna become spiritually out of, out of shape. Why, because we need both diet and exercise to be as healthy as we should be. An inwardly focused Christian in church will be joyless and will slowly die. And by the way, usually they'll start fighting with each other about stupid things. An outwardly focused Christian in church will be joyful and excited and thriving and flourishing. This week, let's live the gospel, not just say we believe it, not just come and listen to it for two weeks, not just grow in it this morning and learn something maybe from scripture on Wednesday night community group or Sunday morning group or Tuesday morning seniors Bible study. Let's not just grow in it. Let's not just connect in it and have some fun and have some laughs. Let's live it. Let's do something with what God's given us to make an impact in the lives of others. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty.